You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week. We hope we're hurtling through the NFL schedule. Week 13 is up, and here we are. We got a couple of guests today. We'll be talking some college football news because big news with coaches moving on. Are the Ravens good? And then we'll we'll end things on not such a high note, or maybe a high note, depending on your your perspective as far as Russell Wilson's concerned. So uh, college football, Alex, we've got some coaches on the move. I mean, we we've talked about a couple of these guys moving. I mean, Lincoln Riley most prevalent, not so much Brian Kelly. But I tell you what, with the money that's being thrown around, I don't know if Mike Tomlin was. <laughs> I think he might have been off base. Why would I take a college job? Hell, they're getting paid more money. I think everybody is up in arms about these huge college coaches leaving their big, cushy, powerhouse jobs for opportunities. I mean, why are people up in arms about it? I remember the Jerry Maguire movie, Lou, and where Tom Cruise played the lead role and Cuba Gooding Jr. was the football player that played for the Arizona Cardinals, He's, he was a wide receiver. What did he say in that movie? His famous... Show me the money! There you go. So, I mean, I can't blame these coaches for leaving because they got a buttload of money. And they, Show they... me the money, Alex! Exactly, Lou. And I think it's not only about the money, it's about the chase for the national championship. Because, I mean, with all due respect, if you look at, like, Brian Kelly's resume... He won two national titles at Division II, uh, Grand Valley State. He led Cincinnati to an undefeated season. He came to Notre Dame and built that program up, which I didn't think was possible in the 21st century, just how historic it, it really was. He became the winningest coach in Notre Dame history. But, Lou, he didn't win the national championship. He's been close. He's been to the college football playoff, but he wasn't able to win. Well, if you look at LSU, Nick Saban has won there. Les Miles has won there. Ed Orgeron has won there. I mean, this is the same coach that USC got rid of because they didn't believe in him. I think LSU presents an opportunity where you can really recruit and reach the title game out of the SEC. I just think this is what Brian Kelly is chasing at 60 years old. He feels like he's probably tapped out at Notre Dame. He'll never reach that milestone. He wants that D1 title. So same thing with Lincoln Riley. I mean, with all due respect, I mean, he's built a powerhouse at Oklahoma. What, like three college football playoff appearances, two Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks and Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. He's won like four Big 12 titles. But he's moving to the SEC in 2024. He's going to have to compete with the Alabamas, with the Georgias. It's a lot easier to come out of the Pac-12 right now and reach the college football playoff. Plus, it's a hotbed as far as recruiting is concerned. He's recruited really well in California. So he's going to get those quarterbacks. He's going to get those running backs and wide receivers to stay there. We all know what Pete Carroll was able to do and how well he recruited I have no doubt that Lincoln Riley is going to do the same thing. So it's good for college football. When college programs can fire coaches in a blink of an eye, like say with Dan Mullen. I mean, he had a bad season this year, but it's one season. He has a winning record with the Gators. He didn't recruit well, but again, it's one bad season. And the Florida Gators said, ah, we, we don't need you, Dan. That's it. Leave. Ed Orgeron, I mean, he won a national championship two years ago. And LSU just let him go like he's nothing. Like he's a bag of peanuts or something like that. That wouldn't have happened a decade ago. So my point is, if colleges, if these universities, if these football programs are not loyal to their coaches, why should coaches be loyal to the universities? It's kind of a two-way street here. That was the point that I was trying to make. And then also, it's almost like a 
to coin a phrase, almost a three-way street because you've got the players that are involved too. Uh, the transfer portal. And, you know, again, I'm sure the same people, the traditionalists and so forth that don't like these coaches making moves, really, I would guess, don't really like the transfer portal much either. But just the way things are with name, image, and likeness, again, like you said, coaches are going to get fired. Why not go for the opportunity? Yes, LSU is going to be he may have stepped into a pressure cooker at Notre Dame as far as Brian Kelly was, but he kind of evolved and kind of changed. You know, he was kind of a fiery guy, uh, said a lot of stupid things along the way early on. But again, I agree with you, built that program and things are going, you know, humming along really well. I mean, this year, I don't think they really expected to be this good or have this good of a record. And, you know, they're on the outside looking in as far as the playoff goes. But who knows if some more crazy stuff happens, he may not be coaching in the playoff or I guess whatever bowl game they'll end up. The point is, is that there's a lot of money out there. Everybody's a, a free agent. They can go get it if they want. Lincoln Riley is going to dominate at USC. He was getting California kids to go to Norman, Oklahoma. Okay, you've got kids from L.A. that are, I think are hungering to have an opportunity at a big-time school at home. And now, with that name, with that cachet that he already has with the California players, he gets those kids to stay. I mean, it's basically them in Oregon. I don't, I don't know that anybody else is going to compete. You know, Herm's doing his thing in, at Arizona State. And, yeah, you know, again, he has a little bit of cachet because he coached in the NFL, but he doesn't really resonate with a lot of young kids, the top players that are going to want to go to USC or Oregon or an SEC school, quite frankly. I wish I could sit here and take the other side and, you know, make for, for great podcasting or some fireworks. But, no, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, Somebody throws that kind of money at you, and not just the money, but the opportunity. They're not going to some chump schools. These are big-time, national, historical programs. LSU, the last three coaches have won national championships. Yeah, it's been an up-and-down ride, but those three guys have won national championships. So, yeah, go for it. I guess now the next question is, Who's the next coach at Oklahoma? <laughs> Who's the next coach at Notre Dame? Uh, Luke Fickle, step right up. I think uh, Notre Dame's calling. It is all going to depend on whether he's chasing that college football playoff. If it's just going to be a regular bowl game, a New Year's Eve bowl game, but not a college football playoff type of setting, that probably he's going to leave. I mean, you and I have talked about it. He is an Ohio guy. This is his dream job. Well, if Fickle passes on this... It's got to be Matt Campbell because Campbell is coaching at Iowa State, but he's also an Ohio guy. And Notre Dame is right up his alley. I mean, that's the job that he would leave for. He didn't go to the Detroit Lions when they offered him a head coaching job, and I understand him. But if Notre Dame comes calling after Fickle says no, you're going to take it. These jobs open up once every 10 years. So you got to take it. I also say Urban Meyer. When you look at that Jacksonville job and the fact that you're probably going to win like three or four games this year, probably going to say, look, with those recruits, with Brian Kelly, I can win tomorrow. Like in 2022, I can win. Because they've had like top five, top ten recruiting classes like the last five or six years. Brian Kelly has really built up that program. I mean, if I was Urban Meyer, I would definitely look at Notre Dame. I would say Fickle, number one. Matt Campbell, and then I look at Urban Meyer if those two say no for some reason. Oklahoma is a bit trickier because it seems like they might look at some defensive coaches, like maybe Mark Stoops from Kentucky, but that's not a sexy name. Maybe they look at Brent Venables, who has been there with Bob Stoops as his defensive coordinator. Oklahoma Sooners did take a chance on Lincoln Riley. It worked out well. The fact that Venables has been there before, the fact that Bob Stoops right now is the interim head coach, I think he's going to push for him. So I think the Sooners are going to go in a different direction this time around. I think they'll go with the defensive coach. I don't know. He's got that itch. Stoops, that is Bob. <laughs> you know, you, I never say never. And stranger things have happened, and yeah, those guys get that itch, and they then they get back into it, and they're like, yeah, I could do this, I can do, yeah, this is great. Why did I ever leave? You know, so uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised there at all. 
All right, so that's our college football talk for the day, hopefully for the season. Nah, not really. We'll talk more about this. There's a lot of money out there, so money, pros, pros like us, man. All right, let's go to our first guest. He's the top D2 wide receiver in the land from the Henderson State Reddies and pride of Guthrie, Oklahoma, number 15, Elliot Curry. Man, thanks for having me, guys. I'm blessed to receive an opportunity like this. This is great. I appreciate it. You guys reaching out. We certainly appreciate you being on, and that was my best radio voice. I mean, obviously, you know, being a wide receiver, you're in the huddle. The call comes in. It's basically designed to go to you. Everything goes well defensively. This is coming to you. What are your thoughts? Do you break the huddle, go line up? What's the thought process pre-snap? What are you looking at? What's, what's going on? I'm looking at my three keys. My three keys are usually the uh, corner, of course, the safety, and the outside linebacker. You usually get a general feel of what the coverage is going to be based on those three guys. Once I figure out the coverage, that makes it just more easier, just making those pre-snap alignments, thinking of, and then coming to the line with a plan. If you don't have a plan of how – if you're going to get pressed, what release you're going to do, if the corner's playing off and you're sitting at your depth, having a plan and film study really takes a care of a lot of those things. Just coming up to the line, having a plan and reading your keys and then trusting in the, uh, the play call because that's what it's there for. That's really it. I assess of what the defense is going to do. I see how the corner is playing and I just come up to the line with a plan in mind and, uh, that's usually how it goes before a play, finding out what defenses like to do on certain downs, seeing how corners play aggressive, and, you know, all that stuff's really done through film study. So prior to playing is uh, film. So watching film and gaining that knowledge of, of the tendencies of the defense because that, that always helps. So preparation being the key there. Yes, Give sir. us just some sense of how much film study do you do during a normal week leading up to a game? Man, leading up to a game, I'll probably watch two hours a day. And if it's a really good corner, which I've went against here at Henderson, I'll probably be watching nonstop. You were a wide receiver in high school, but you also excelled on the defensive side of the ball. You put up some impressive numbers. I mean, I would assume you played everywhere. Did you play like DN, linebacker, DB? Kind of that athlete position, honestly. Most colleges and most programs call it like their star or nickel. That's really what I was. I was like a hybrid outside linebacker. I wasn't scared to be close to the defensive line, and I wasn't scared to rush off the edge or drop out in coverage. So, so that was kind of my role in high school. And, man, I can't even, like, say it was me. It was really the, the defensive scheme our coach put in and the guys around me that helped me exploit those weaknesses and those offenses but in my mindset coming out of high school was actually I wanted to guard the how, how many guys can run a 4-4 but how many guys can cover the guy running a 4-4 that was my mindset in high school it definitely changed when I got to uh, college so did most teams recruit you as a wideout or a corner they kind of wanted me as that like that nickel position most teams wanted me to play defense. I didn't really care what I was playing, offense or defense. It didn't matter to me. As long as my education was getting taken care of, man, I could care where I was playing. And I was just blessed to get that opportunity to play at the next level. But majority of teams were recruiting me for that outside, that star nickel position, that kind of that hybrid linebacker position. Things kind of turned over when I got to UCO. They had some uh, older guys in front of me and, uh, they were really low at receivers, so that's when I I made the switch. It was actually my redshirt freshman year. I actually made the switch from linebacker to receiver, and that was a huge, huge transition. But you did play wide receiver in high school. Yes, sir, I did. Why was it such a, a hard transition for you to make? I will, I'll say this. In high school, I was just, I'm a better athlete than you. I'm just going to go out here, run this fade, and I'm going to catch the ball over you. Now it made it more harder because it was technical. Like now everybody's just as fast or just as, as athletic as you are. So now it's more so not about the raw talent. I got to mix that raw talent with technique. That's what I was missing. Was football your favorite sport growing up, or were you just an athlete? Did you run track? Did you play basketball in high school? 
in high school, I kind of, yeah, I ran track and I played basketball and I played, of course, I played football. But my first love is basketball, of course, man. Uh, I mean, if one player is hot, like say you got KD or LeBron or Steph, if he's hot, he can. One person can change the whole aspect of a game and the outcome of a game. Like, and that's why I love basketball because of uh, just the fast pace of it, um, how the ball's always moving around, and like I said, how one person can change the outcome of, of a game. Football is just not so like that. You can have one big key player, but if a defense really wants to try their best to take them away, they can. You were born and raised in Oklahoma. What were the reasons you chose to go to Central Oklahoma? The main reason was because of my grandma. Um, at an early age, my mother had passed away. I was orphaned to my grandma, and that's who's taking care of me my whole life. Uh, she's 89 right now, about to turn 90 here pretty soon. And that's the only person, like, that's all I got, like, besides my other intermediate family, my uncles and all that. But as far as who raised me, who grew up with, is my grandma. So that was the main reason why I decided to stay in Oklahoma. So to be closer to your grandmother. Yeah, which was literally only like 15 minutes away. Was she able to come to the games? Was she able to watch you play? My grandma, she can't really move around that well. No, nah, she didn't really come to the games, but just knowing that in the back of my head that if something happened, I could be there in the snap of a dime. I never really told anybody this, but my goal is to make it to the NFL so she can see me play. My grandma's only witnessed me play one time, and that was in high school, and she didn't even come to the game. She watched it on TV. So that's when I was like, man, I got to make it. Like, I got to make it so my grandma can watch me play on TV. So how has she shaped your life and, and made you in, into the man that you are today? Man, uh, I wouldn't be where I'm at because of her. She's molded me into a smart young man. If I do say so myself, I'm about to get my master's, so I'm about to toot my own horn a little bit. But she's made me to a smart, humble, sometimes humble, I ain't going to say too much. But I, I owe her my life, you know, like that's my heart. That's who I do it for. That's my why. That's my reason for pursuing college and for pursuing the NFL now. But that's my why. Elliot, why did you eventually transfer to Henderson State? You mentioned you wanted to stay closer to your grandmother. Arkansas is, is a long way from Oklahoma. Oh, yeah, for sure. Throughout my tenure at UCO, I had I had some growing pains I had to go through. Yeah, I'll just put it as simple as that. I had some growing pains, some immature things I needed to learn. And um, so throughout the years, things just build it up, like miscellaneous things like locker room fights and all that jazz. And uh, eventually it just got to the point where me and Coach Bobek, I don't think he's part of UCO anymore. We actually just agreed to part ways. I entered the transfer portal and Henderson State hit me up. rest was history. I wanted to get out of Oklahoma as well is because, like I said, my grandma was always right there, like right behind me. So I wanted to go to Arkansas or go somewhere a little bit further than Edmond, Oklahoma. Like, just see how I was as an independent man. And that was a real reason. And that was a huge obstacle and something I had to deal with with coming to uh, Oklahoma. But the plus side is all my away games are in Oklahoma. So... <laughs> Were you able to grow as a person and become more of a man in, in Arkansas, just being away from home? Yeah, because I, I couldn't, like, say if I had a flat tire or something or just miscellaneous things here and there, things that would pop up. I couldn't just run home and run to my grandma. I had to figure these things out. So my problem-solving skills got way better. Money management got way better. I mean, once you're away from your parents, you kind of got to be on your own two feet. You got to think with your head on a swivel, I'm about five hours, six hours away from my house, so I couldn't just stop everything I'm doing and just go home. I had to plan ahead. I had to manage money. I had to make sure everything was right on my end so I could continue to blossom and keep my head on straight. Well, that's a part of the college experience that sometimes, you know, goes underrated, Elliot, is is that growth. And uh, I guess we applaud you for taking that step and recognizing it and uh, embracing it and, and getting to where you are now. You've had some huge games this year and throughout your career. 
you had a fantasy stat line that uh, most people would love. You had a game at Arkansas Monticello where you had uh, 10 receptions, 228 yards, four touchdowns. Would you say that was your best game? I mean, stats-wise, it says so. But, you know, was that your best game? Was that my best game? I mean, stat-wise, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to beat 228 yards, four touchdowns on 10 catches. That's tough. Right. But, um, you watch a lot of film. If you watch the film afterwards and say, regardless of the stats, I played better in this situation than I did when I had all the catches and touchdowns. I would probably say, um, I'm trying to think because there's a lot of games that, that are on the list, but, uh, that Monticello game is definitely up there. I'll probably have to say Arkansas tech, probably Arkansas tech or Southeastern Oklahoma. I, I'll say it's Southeastern Oklahoma. I didn't have the stat line that I wanted, but I definitely came through when my team needed me. 228 yards, that's hard to beat. Like, that's probably my best game of the day. But I probably have to say either that game or Arkansas Tech was one of my uh, other top games. You talked about releases and, you know, I guess your, your film study and so forth. Can you recall a game or a situation where that film study put you in a position to succeed where you made a big play just based on your film study? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. I got so many instances and so many... Uh, just give us your favorite one. I mean, we, we can uh, come back and do this another time if you can just give us one for now. We're playing Southeastern Oklahoma. Game's on the line at this point. Uh, we need a first down. And um, I remember... In this certain set, if we came out here in this specific formation, we was going to get this type of look, and the corner was going to play this type. And he bit on a certain move. He bit on a certain move, and I came out, and I remember that. And just like that, I did it. I didn't really work the same move, but I got in position where I could make the catch for the first down, and I ended the game. That's the first thing that pops in my head. Was it a slant? Was it a quick out? Was it a yeah, post? Yeah, it was a slant. It was a slant. When I watch your film, I see a player that is not willing to go down on that first tackle. I also see a player that also takes pride in blocking, which is refreshing to see. I mean, not many, not every wide receiver blocks out there. Do you take a lot of pride in, in terms of your blocking? Oh, yeah, man. Yes, sir. That comes way back to high school. It was Coach Mashu right there. He distilled in me that we little linemen. We skinny linemen. That's what he used to call us. We skinny linemen. Because at Guthrie, we didn't throw the ball a lot. We ran that ball like 30 times a game. Blocking has always been a part of me. And then playing linebacker, you got that grit in that. I went from giving the hit to taking the hit. So whenever I'm blocking, I, I kind of give it back to him. You've been a dominant player at Henderson State for two years. You're a wide receiver that teams game plan for. What is it like being the go-to guy in an offense? Is it hard to get open knowing that sometimes they're going to get doubled? Sometimes they're going to put their best cover man on you? I mean, what is your mindset? Uh, my mindset going into it is the same like it is any other day. I just got to go out there and do my job and finding new ways to expose their best coverage guys and to expose their defense. And that's where that film study comes into play. And, and also just trusting our offense and trusting the play calling. Like, to be honest with you, I want the ball every time we come out there, but I know it, it doesn't work like that. Just trusting it, trusting my teammates, and just waiting for my when the ball comes my way. I, I try not to get too caught up in that facade. I just try to do my job, man. Everybody plays this game at different levels, Pop Warner, middle school, high school, so far. When did you know you loved the game? This goes back to high school, too. Basketball was my always my first love. I grew up playing AAU, all that, so I'm really a hooper. If you ask anybody around Oklahoma, they'll tell you about me. But it was uh, my sophomore year in high school. We're playing our rival, Carl Albert, and I catch a – a game-winning catch. At this point in time, I played no offense. I didn't play offense at all. Only time I played offense was to literally catch a fade ball every blue moon, and this was just so happened to be it. And uh, I remember the play like it was yesterday. They said 300 fade to Elliott. 
I line up, I'm singled up to the right side of the field. Quarterback goes through his cadence, calls hut, balls in the air. I make a little stutter, two-step, move on the uh, corner. I get outside, and he, he puts the ball right over my shoulder, right in the corner end zone. And then, uh, like, everything in that moment stopped. And I was like, dang, I'm pretty good at this. <laughs> all right well that, that's, that's a great it, that's when it clicked that's a great moment yeah it was, it was crazy man uh this crowd was crazy it was definitely one of my most memorable favorite moments being a basketball player with your releases coming off the line i mean that's got to be a huge help just like you said like oh, a little stut- stutter and go and go right by the guy most definitely and that's that's what i try to tell young guys coming up like try to play as many sports as you can because Different sports correlate to each other. They might not in like necessarily like in some aspect, but in another aspect they are. I watch a lot of Doug Baldwin. I didn't realize I, I was using these releases, like these crossovers, until I watched Doug Baldwin. And I was like, oh, wow, it makes sense. Because when you use a hesitation release, it's just, I mean, you're using the same footwork you're using on a basketball court. Yeah, watch some AI tape if you haven't. You'll get to, you'll get a lot of new releases coming off the line. They say wide receivers are, are divas at heart, right? I mean, you hear that all the time. When you hear that, what do you think of? I feel like receivers get a bad rap because we are vocal. We are vocal people that want the ball. We can't get the ball every time like a running back. When we get the ball, we got to make a man look bad and then catch it. Like, that's tough. So whenever we're open and we don't get the ball, we're going to fail some type of way. And I think that's when the diva part, the diva aspect of the sport comes in because they always, oh, they want to look pretty. They want to do this. They want to do that. I mean, there's some truth to it. But, nah, man, I don't don't know. I'm about 50-50 with that one. Can you think of a moment maybe where it was a little diva-ish for you? A little diva-ish. I'm not really into the looking good. I go out there with wrist tape and no-show socks. I don't really care about swag or anything, but when I don't get the ball, I can be diva. I'll say that. Well, there's nothing wrong with wanting the ball. I mean, you're running, what, like 50, 60 routes a game, and like you said, you had a huge game and only 10 of them came your way. That's got to get frustrating. It does, but that comes with knowing that a team is locking in on you, just knowing that stuff. It was more so being patient this year than anything because I know I was a decoy for a lot of routes. That was getting my other teammates open, and that's what comes with being the number one guy and what happens when teams are game planning against you. Right, you got to have that mentality that it's, you know, you're one of 11. It's not like uh, you're on the basketball court <laughs> and you're no. just in the zone draining threes like Steph. Exactly. Uh, What's your favorite route? My favorite route. Inside, I like running a box fade. I feel like nobody can hold me on a box fade and a slant route from the outside. And what kind of work has gone into uh, perfecting that box fade? <laughs> a box fade. A lot of one-on-ones. A lot of one-on-ones. And just uh, a lot of film study, too, because some people think that running a fade means jumping over a guy. Like, nah, man. Sometimes you, you want to catch the ball over your shoulders. Just getting those mini reps and just watching guys that are successful at winning those boxes, like Wes Welker, Doug Baldwin, watching those types of guys. I like the older school guys of receivers because that's kind of who I imitate my game after. Watching film, getting a lot of a lot of reps. Reps cure everything, man. We read somewhere that you're a big New England fan. Are you still a Patriots fan? I'm a big Tom Brady fan. All right, let me put it like this. Let me put it like this. I was a big Randy Moss fan, and then when Randy went to the New England, they was balling out of control. Then they got rid of Randy, and then I just stayed a Patriots fan. I'm still a huge Patriots fan, but Tom Brady got my heart. Are you rooting for the Bucks now? <laughs> I, I kind of am. I'm not going to lie to kind of am because tom brady man that's my guy you may finish your career in the nfl playing with tom brady the way he's going man i know right that's the goal that is the goal to play with tom i don't think i realize how of a dream come true that would be to play with tom brady that'd be crazy and if he's still playing which i hope he is 
then that's the goal. Oh, he's going to play. <laughs> he's not going anywhere anytime soon. So I think you'll have your shot if Tampa Bay reaches out. So you mentioned a couple of old school guys, you know, Baldwin, Wes Welker. I was going to ask, who's in today's game, if you had to compare yourself, not so much an overall player, but just when you watch an NFL game, who reminds you of yourself? See, that is a great question because everybody else has they different types of uh, flavor. And I'm a bigger receiver. Well, I'm not necessarily a big, but I have a bigger body. Man, that's, that's a great question. There are there's tons of receivers. I want to say Devontae Adams, but Devontae Adams is way better than I am. I just love watching him because of his footwork, his releases. Who else? Cooper Cup. I like Cooper Cup. I probably say Cooper Cup as of right now. Who I imitate my gang after like DeAndre Johnson, Des Bryant, like guys like that. Guys that are bigger and can still get in out of breaks. So you mentioned you were working on your thesis for your master's. Um, other than that, uh, what's your schedule between now and the draft? Working on that thesis so I can get to graduate my master's. So that's number one. Like as of right now, like that's that's all that's got my that's all that's got my attention. Because man, I know like, I didn't work too hard to get this far to not get this master's. So when I get in, I graduate in December thirteenth. I plan on uh, picking it up back full speed. I just wanted to give myself a little two, three-week break from a football season, and then I was going to jump right back in it once I got back to Oklahoma. Are you going to train on your own, Elliot, or are you going to one of these personal trainers that puts together um, pre, pre-draft drills and everything that you need to do to get that 40 time down, those types of things? I've had a couple of trainers reach out, but I think where I've been training at i mean numbers don't lie i've got good numbers training with my guys so i want to stay at home but i'm I'm open for anything i got a trainer back in guthrie that's going to get me right so i think i'm going to rock with him his name's reggie Callen. he's really he's a good guy he's a stud what's his last name Callen. c-a-l-l-i-n-s Shout out to trainer Reggie Collins. That's going to do it for the interview portion of this. Uh, Elliot, uh, you've been a delight. Great answers. If you want to give your social media handles or shout out somebody else besides Reggie, go right ahead. I want to give a shout out to uh, my grandma, first and foremost. Shout out to Coach Max, Coach Don, Coach JJ, Coach Graham, Smelson, uh, Hawk. All the guys up at Henderson, all the guys at UCL that helped pave the way, my Guthrie family, God first and foremost. So, and I appreciate you guys. Give a shout out to y'all because man, this is a, I had a blast with this interview. All right, great. Well, good luck with the thesis for sure and the draft prep. We are pulling for you, man. Good luck. Thank you. Thanks again to Elliot Curry, the number one D two wide receiver in the land. Okay. Ravens, are they good? You know, they're 8-3. and three. They're the number one seed right now against all odds of injuries and everything going against them. But somehow, someway, they muddle through. They win games. But are they good? Are they, are, are they playoff ready? I mean, I, I don't see it. You know, Lamar is evolving and he's getting better. And I'm not here to bash him. I think he's a great player. He plays a position differently and that's good because you don't want a bunch of clones out there. It's boring. A guy that plays the position a little differently. He's still, you know, this zero blitz stuff is, is going to keep showing up. You know, the, the Dolphins kind of hammered him with it. The Browns did a couple of times, but... He was throwing it to them so easily, they didn't have to zero blitz so much. Once he gets that kind of mastered, or at least uh, stays away from the bad plays against the zero blitz, again, the kid's just getting better and better. And if they ever get these injured players back, I don't know if they're going to get them this year. I don't think I don't know that any of them come back this year. Marcus Peters, Ronnie Stanley, the running backs aren't coming back for sure. So, you know, in the playoffs... I trust them because of the coaching and the DNA and the culture. But if they get into a like a playoff game against the Chiefs, the Bengals, the Bills, the Patriots, I don't know if I trust them that much. Look, they look horrible against the Browns. I mean, that was as 
ugly of a win as you can get on a night when Lamar Jackson threw four picks. That was a horrible game to watch, period, both sides. I mean, that was just, for a Sunday night game, I mean, typically they've been very must-watch TV. That was close, but that one sequence where it was like, I don't know, three or four turnovers in a row. I mean, it's like, what what's going on here? But you know what? In the playoffs, you went ugly. Sometimes you have to gut out that win. And I'm just going to give you a stat here. This is the sixth. One. Yeah, one game. But I don't know that you can do that, go through the playoffs. This is the sixth time this season that they won by less than a touchdown. So that tells me that this team has been in a lot of close games and they get it done. They win it. Play it against, you know, the Bengals, the Browns, the Steelers. It's not an easy division by any means, by the way. Huge performance by the Ravens defense. I also give that, you know, a huge boost because in the playoffs, you have to play good defense. You you have to rise to the occasion. And the Ravens defense rose to the occasion against the Browns. They held the Browns to 40 yards rushing. That's with Kareem Hunt coming back, them being at full strength there. The Browns couldn't run the ball. We know that, you know, Baker is injured and he played like crap. And, and Lamar played like crap as well. I mean, taking some chances out there. But this team has been battle-tested. This team has been to the Super Bowl with John Harbaugh. He has won the Super Bowl with the, not with this group, but he has won it before. And I think I like the fact that they're built for the playoffs. And I just think they're going to gut out a couple of these wins by like three points, by like a touchdown. I get the feeling that they might be that team to represent in the Super Bowl or be in the AFC Championship game. Doesn't look pretty. These aren't the Chargers. These aren't the Chiefs. It does not look pretty. But I get the feeling that they'll be out there in the end. Well, at Pittsburgh, at Cleveland, then they got Green Bay at home, at Cincinnati, the Rams, and they finished with Pittsburgh. Now, the Pittsburgh games, I mean, on the surface, wow, there's, you know, AFC North, Titans, it's always a, you know, fist fight, you know, whatever. I don't know. I mean, the way the Steelers are playing, those might those might uh, chalk up as two easy wins. I mean, again, they got the Browns again. I don't. The Browns never really adjusted. Stefanski. I, I don't know. Sometimes he gets gets away from himself. They only had so many yards rushing, but they didn't really stick with it either. And Baker again is doing is gutting it out. But I almost think they'd be better served to go with Case Keenum for a few games to really get Baker healthy. But again, Ravens belief in the scheme, player development. I mean, these guys get better when they go there, and they get better really quick. Harbaugh, say what you will. I mean, it has his detractors, but he wins every year. And then Roman with the scheme that he kind of. You know, developed for Kaepernick, and now he's kind of tweaked it here for Lamar Jackson. But I still like them a lot as a team. I just don't know that they're going to be able, uh, with given the injuries and the lack of wide receiver consistency, to win multiple games that ugly. Maybe one, but you know, you're not going to get a few of those in a row. All right, let's bring on our next guest. He's an offensive tackle for the East Carolina Pirates, hailing from Chesapeake, Virginia, number 79, Justin Chase. Justin, welcome to Pros Like Us. How's it going today? It's going good. I thank you all for having me on here today. Well, we appreciate you coming on. Right off the top, for people that may not have have seen you play, if you had to give a scouting report, kind of give us some uh, pluses and minuses on Justin Chase, what would that scouting report be? For me, the scouting report would be a late bloomer, somebody who started out a little late in his career, but is a very coachable player that is versatile in his game. Last year, I played uh, right guard for some games and ended up starting at right tackle, started at left tackle last year, and there I've leaned left and right tackle, but majority of left tackle this year. So somebody who's definitely very versatile, flexible, can play either position, can understand the playbook from both sides to uh, really be able to execute somebody that's coachable, somebody that's patient in their uh, past game. Yes, I can um, use my strength. Yes, I can explode out of my blocks, but I believe uh, being more patient and letting them set up their rush almost where you can uh, really kind of counter back with how you want to 
block them, I think is one of the bigger things to just have a plan in your head. And then somebody that can run in, in the run blocking game, not just uh, one, two steps here, but if you need me to get out there and to pull in the space, I can pull in space. I can reach a wide five on a mid zone play, or if I need to just go downhill head up technique, I can just block them that way. So somebody who's versatile, is athletic and can really move. So that versatility, obviously that is going to serve you very well moving to the next level because I mean, obviously the more you can do and there's so many different schemes in the NFL that, you know, you can fit in anywhere. Now that's, the positives for you, what are some of the challenges of playing multiple offensive line positions in a given season and then there and even furthermore in a specific game? Oh yeah, there's been games where I've had to go to left to right to left to right throughout the game. So I think it's more of a mindset. In reality you're really doing the same place, just flipped. You're really doing the same techniques for flip but it's a mindset and you're so comfortable to playing one position all game or majority of the the season. So when you get over there, say you're going from left side to the right side, even though the right side may be your dominant side, but you've been playing left, left tackle all year. So when you get to that right side, it just feels like the footwork is just much different that you're open a different way. And so once you can uh, conquer that mindset piece, really going from both sides probably one of the funnest things you can uh, do because sometimes there's certain DNs that just play more along one side of the uh, line. So, like, when you get to go over there and switch over, you can be like, hey, I'm here, and I want some more. So it's, it's just a different way of playing. But once you get past that mental, uh, it's so much fun. Did the muscle memory ever fool you during a game? When you, you switched from one side to the other and just – you know, the muscle memory has you on the left side, but you're on the right. Did it ever fool you during the course of a game? The only reason I can say no to that is like in a, such a big way, no, because my coach, Coach Shank, he makes sure I take reps at both sides throughout the practice all week. So it's kind of like I understand second nature to both sides, but sometimes when you get up there and you're thinking that you're on one side and you got to be mindful if you need to make a call or change something, or you just need to look at something else, you got to look at it from a different perspective than where you were. I guess the little things might be in your past stance. It might open up a little quicker on one side because you're not used to being on that side. So, but once you get going, maybe one or two plays, you're more settled in and uh, can actually really have fun over there. Justin, your team went 7-5 and five this season, and uh, ECU has already accepted to play in the Military Bowl on December 27th in Maryland. How would you sum up your senior year? It must be nice to, to go bowling. It's really good. Um, from being a transfer from uh, NC State, we've been, I went to a few bowl games there that didn't really play like the way I wanted. Uh, but definitely being on a team where – you can tell it's just family, family. Everybody has that one goal in mind that we want to win, that we want to go bowling. So it's just, it's been a special year. Honestly, I wouldn't say it's a surprising year at that because just what I saw from the end of last year when we ended with SMU and one and then going into the winter workouts, going into spring training, going into summer training, I really saw something different. You can tell in everybody's eyes there was a hunger to win. People were willing to do out of their norm of what they were comfortable with. This year has definitely been a season that I'm just happy and just proud to be a part of, being with the group of guys that I'm with and the coaches that I just think that ECU is a great place and God just has a way of just leading you to where you need to be and there's just a reason you're here for everything. This senior year has been probably something that I would never trade in for the world, the memories. What was the most memorable win from this season? Oh, I think for me it was the Marshall win because that was our largest comeback in school history and just how we were just dominating once we got going. And then I think what, what was more memorable than that for, the, for that reason is um, during a game, I think around about the 
close to the end of the second quarter, uh, I looked up in the stands and then I saw my dad had passed out during the game. And, you know, when you're close to your parents and just close to somebody like that, it really just messes with you in the mind. Um, he was ended up being fine, but I just felt like this is where you have to learn how to direct your mental, use it for the way that you need to do it so you can stay locked into the game. So I think that game was probably the one for me to just stay there, focus 100% in the game, and which ended up turning out to be one, I would say one of my better games throughout the season and just to see the outcome uh, that happened. Was your dad able to watch that comeback or did he leave? I mean, what happened there? So they left at the halftime and, you know, I thought they were just on their way back down. They went into the car and literally just watched the game, the rest of the game. And my mom said he was just screaming the whole time while he was in there. So there was something special about each game this year. I don't know if it's because it was my last one. Like after the Cincinnati game, walked off the field, I just stared there for a while and just looked around and just said, all your six years of hard work came down to this moment. And I was able to tell myself I didn't slack and that I actually really worked for what I want to do. So this year has been just a great year. Did your parents always come to your home games, whether it was at NC State or ECU? Listen, my parents came to every game at NC State, every home game. And then at ECU, well, since I've been here these last two years, they've been to every away game and every home game. I might be biased when I say it, but I believe I have the best set of parents, brothers. I think there's no other support system that can uh, compare to what I got with my family. All right, you mentioned the Cincinnati Bearcats being the last game that you played at ECU. Were you impressed by them? I mean, how good are they? Give us the, the scouting report on this team. I think they're really a really good team. You can tell why they're in the position that they're in. They play hard. They drive. Their motors kept going the whole time, never stopped, never took their foot off the gas. But at the same time, we didn't do that either. But, but when you play teams like that, you know, that caliber and at the level that they're at, can't make mistakes. You got to really capitalize on every opportunity that you have. Other than that, they were a really good team. The ends that I went against, uh, especially number 21, was a good player. Never will discredit somebody. He's going to have a bright future in the league just from what I see blocking him. And I believe I, I did pretty well blocking him. But being able to play a team like that, what you live for and what you work for, your whole and the reason why you want to come to college football. You want to be able to be in them games where you're playing a top three, top four opponent in the country, not just in your conference, but in the country. So you live for these type of moments and you train for these moments. So they were a really good team, but they were playing a really good team in East Carolina at that too. All right, let's talk about your signal caller, the left-handed quarterback, Holton Ehlers, uh, kind of guy who's been the, the face of this team for a while now. What type of player in, in person is he? By the way, he's been on this show. you got to give him some love, Justin. I never have anything bad to say about Horn. Even when I'm tired in practice and he's trying to get us to hurry up when we're doing two-minute drills, I still love him. Overall, Holden's a good guy. He's very straightforward. He won't change on you. He'll talk to the starter all the way down to the redshirt freshman walk-on. Holden is one of, one of the really good guys that I've met since I've been here. Great player, as you can tell. Can throw the ball. He can run the ball. He'll truck somebody over if he has to. Really good team leader. Nothing bad to say about him. I love him. I uh, appreciate all that he's doing for the team. And that's what I say. It's just people like him that we have all throughout our locker room that makes this whole experience even enjoyable. Justin, you mentioned the, the Marshall game. And, of course, you know we're, we're glad your dad's okay and was, was able to cheer the rest of the game. But you were credited with two yards rushing in that game. Describe the play, and how did it feel carrying the ball? To be honest with you, I had to think what the two-yard rushings were. But I think I had recovered a fumble, and I want to say I accidentally maybe like rolled with the two yards. <laughs> I appreciate getting that rushing stat because the first game that we played at State, we ran one play, and I think I got in the way of like the passing lane or whatever, and uh, – Colton accidentally threw me the ball. It, this season has been just funny for me. It's been a good time. Did you see the and the, the Dolphins had a similar play 
I think it was against the Ravens where the right guard just made the reception and like took it in for a touchdown. I mean, did offensive linemen get enough credit for, for being great athletes? No, nah, they don't, even though that play wasn't drew up for me. Should have caught the ball, but, you know, they don't understand. It takes a lot to be a offensive lineman. It's more than just blocking. You have, especially with the way the game is changing and you're really trying to block some freak athletes coming off the edge or even in the interior while they're getting a full speed at you and you're majority of the time backing up. It takes an incredible athlete to uh, be an offensive lineman. Offensive line rooms notoriously, and I don't know if it's notorious, but they seem to always have the best stories. Uh, give us one that stands out for you with your group there at uh, East Carolina. It was during one of our Monday meetings. Um, we come in for the scouting report and to check out the team we're playing. And I want to say it was the week we were playing Navy. We were all thinking, like, how is the way we can, like, mess with Coach Shank before he came into the room? We all just had turned the lights off in there and just hit, and he was walking in. He didn't He didn't see what was going on. He didn't know what was happening. And next thing you know, he turned them lights on, and we scared him. We were like, yeah, we got you back for all the times you're getting us on the field. So, do you guys I, have a regular activity that you do off the field? We all go to eat. That's one thing offensive linemen loves to do. We eat. Uh, we always try to, uh, if it's between places like Carolina, Ale House, or we'll go to Buffalo Wild Wings, different places like that, we'll always – ride deep together 16 17 offensive linemen going at once and then over the summer i actually uh did a cookout at my apartment for the offensive line and mind you it was about 15 20 of us i promise you i cooked over 40 burgers and 30 pieces of pork chops that day so it was just different things like that it's just like great memories for me i'm guessing no leftovers i tell you i didn't get a burger or a pork chop that day I was hurt. Ouch. I mean, the fact that yeah. you were cooking, I mean, that's brutal. All they left me was a bottle of water and a bag of chips. <laughs> that's a great story. So you mentioned that you're a late bloomer. You mentioned that during your scouting report. You started playing football your junior year of high school. Why did you yeah. pick up the game so late? And did you play any other sports? Well, I picked up the game a little later. I tried it when I was like in middle school. I really didn't grasp to it like I wanted. Um, I played basketball and that helped me like slim down. I was getting taller and everything. Played golf. Um, didn't make the team because uh, I was always told that I'll run into football. I played golf, basketball. That was about it. I uh, played for school and AAU. Might not have been the best basketball player, but one thing I can say, I definitely took some of that old lineman grit to the court. You knew you knew that I'd probably throw an elbow in there here and there, but that was really the sports I played. And just being a late bloomer, I kind of like it as its advantage it has for me sometimes, where it's just like showing now in the process that I'm in, allowing me to get drafted and play in the next level. It shows that I'm a player that can be coachable, um, a player that can – learn something quick, learn something on the go, and that's somebody that is not a coachable, respectful guy that will actually take coaching and take it for what it's worth because you know that's going to help you be the best player that you can be. Who got you to try out for the football team your junior year? Was it your friends or was it some coach? It was my coach, Coach Pete Gale, uh, at Great Bridge High School. He actually came for my senior night, him and his family. He would always stay in contact with me, freshman, sophomore year and all that. There's some reasons I, I didn't do it during uh, my freshman year, but one thing he did was just stayed there in my ear, and then I said, I'm going to go ahead and try it out my junior year. Did it, and it stuck with me ever since. I remember telling my mom one day we were riding in a car, and just out of nowhere I just said, you're not going to have to pay for school for me. I know it's more of a cliche thing that, you hear a lot of people tell their parents that, a lot of the college athletes, but I really meant that because uh, I just saw how much school costs, and I saw that if I keep at this, I'm growing, and at least just want to be coached, I know I can get a scholarship. And if you ask me coming out of uh, my junior year after my one-year plan that I was going to have ACC offers, AAC offers, I wouldn't have believed it, but at the same time, I would have believed it just because 
my faith and where I know where all my help comes from. I love the confidence, Justin. I mean, what were some of those offers? Why did you eventually choose NC State? Well, what was funny, I actually was committed to East Carolina my junior year uh, when Coach Ruffin McNeil was here. Uh, I loved him and Coach Davis, and I loved ECU. But after that coaching staff was released, I um, decided to switch my commitment to um, NC State. But my top schools were NC State, ECU, and it's slipping my mind. Wake Forest. At the time, I liked all three of them schools. But then I thought that NC State, after I left ECU, I thought NC State was just the, the best way for me. And in more ways, even though I didn't get the play time that I wanted there, uh, it actually just helped me grow as a man. And uh, it helped me grow in shape to be who I am today and who I'm continually trying to be from uh, coaches like Coach D'Antonio Burnett, Coach Slender there. The strength coach really helped mentor me and really helped me grow as a man being down there, finding some good mentors in the ministry down there. So everything happens for a reason. And I don't regret none of the experiences that I went through because they all just are shaping me and making me into the person that I am now. You eventually, you know, entered the transfer portal and you picked East Carolina and you went there. So what was the reason you decided to transfer? Tell us that story. I wasn't getting the time I wanted to there and um, at NC State. But I would have done it earlier, but I knew I wanted to get my degree first uh, since I was already majority of the way in there. And then it's always been in the back of my head to transfer, but I always want to be known as a person that finished with the start. Coach Shank, my offensive line coach, uh, worked at NC State for a year as an analyst, I believe. So he was there, and uh, while I was on the scout team, he would be the one that would kind of coach us up. He'll just be the one there. Made a relationship with him through there. And then uh, once I entered the portal, and I appreciate everyone that uh, wanted to give me that shot, but Coach Shank called me, talked. He told me he'd call me back in a day or so, called me the next day. He couldn't even get the words out that he was going to offer me yet before I said, I'm coming to you, Coach, and I was going to commit. How has your family influenced your football life? They pushed me to be the best I can be. They provided the resources for me in high school and as best as they went any way they could in college. They're really, like I said, the best support system. If I need the least little thing, my dad is quick to drive down from Virginia down here to North Carolina to make sure that I'm okay. I think, And then the other big piece is my family's a praying family. Just knowing that you have somebody in your corner praying for you always and wanting nothing but the best for you, it really gives you that motivation and that confidence that you can walk around. And even Coach uh, Thunder told me this, and it kind of goes with what my parents always taught me. When I was at NC State, they said, to have confidence, you have to feel it. You have to walk straight up. You have to have your shoulders back. It's just all in just enforcing what uh, my parents taught me growing up. To that, you're speaking of posture and appearance and so forth. Typically, offensive linemen, you see them around their sweats or maybe like a, a sport jacket, shirts a little off, the ties a little loose. I got to tell you, you've got some pretty clean fits from what I've seen. Tell us about, I mean, one, the suit, but the, the purple fedora you were rocking this weekend. Where, where'd that come from? And, you know, just tell us about the hat. Well, the fedora, my dad told me he had a surprise for me. And when he came down to Thanksgiving, he showed me, and it was the purple fedora with the gold bottom hat. And I understood why he did it because he said, it's your last game. You need to go out big as a pirate. And then my dad is uh, a part of uh, Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated. Purple and gold was going to be his favorite thing. And so he got me the hat. The fits throughout the year, I told my teammates, I said, if I can't, I might not buy all the Jordans. I might not buy uh, Yeezys, all this different type of stuff. But one thing I can do is put a suit together. And so I always had comp little competitions with the uh, different teammates who can be the uh, swaggiest throughout the week. Uh, they thought they could top me. I got the fedora. They tried to come in next week and try to top me. I brought out uh, my parents actually surprised me with a pair of red bottoms. Uh, last year I've been waiting to wear them. 
So I always just try to find one way to top my teammates. I couldn't let them beat me. Well, I don't think uh, you have to worry about that. Uh, I, you get the thumbs up from us for whatever that's worth. You mentioned your faith several times in ministry, prayer. I saw, I don't know if it was Instagram or, or one of the um, social media handles. You had a couple of, uh, I guess, titles, if you would, you know, in describing yourself, future lawyer, preacher. Where does that come from? And I guess eventually, how do you want to manifest this? My major right now is political science with a concentration of pre-law. What I really want to do is want to get into um, politics. And uh, I always saw myself, said it was since I was a little kid, I want to be mayor of my hometown. So it's always been something that I wanted to do. And something I enjoy uh, learning about more, the legal system, as I'm learning through school now. And just always been a person of history and politics that just loves it. And then the ministry side of it, my parents are uh, pastors. My father's uh, a bishop in the Church of God in Christ, which is uh, one of the largest Pentecostal denominations in the world. It's just been a very strong piece in my life. Um, Always been the type where you never had to force me to go to church. That's something that I enjoy doing. I'd rather go to church than go out on some weekends, uh, even in college. But how I would love to see it all manifest um, My end goal is I want to be uh, a full-time ministry, help my father at our home church and to eventually pastor that church. And uh, I just believe that a man that doesn't work doesn't eat. So on the side of that, I do want to have my profession in local politics or whether it's in uh, being a lawyer so that I can be financially stable. I can just be that confident man uh, in life. Prayer, my faith is huge for me and to know that I can do all things through Christ. I can go through this life. I can go through a lot of my hard trials and troubles that go along with this uh, crazy ride of college football and just living and just having the satisfaction and knowing that Jesus has my back and that he died on the cross for me and he paid the ultimate price for me. So who am I not to be able to go through some of the things that I'm going through now? Well said, Justin. Uh, There's a man with a plan, Alex. We'd love to hear it. We appreciate you coming on the show. We'll give you a a second or two here if you want to shout out your social media handles or anybody else you want to shout out. Go right ahead. Uh, First, just want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and want to thank my father and my mother and my brother uh, for everything, and East Carolina for giving me the opportunity to play what I love playing and and to state the Thank you for giving me the opportunity to start out. And my Instagram tag is underscore Justin Chase. And same thing on Facebook, underscore uh, Justin Chase. And then on Twitter, my handle is Justin Chase underscore 73. All right, Justin. Wish you the best of luck moving forward in all your endeavors. Hopefully you get a chance at the NFL. If you don't, obviously you've got your life well mapped out here. So again, thanks for coming on. Yes, sir. Thank you. Before we go out, a couple of words about Russell Wilson. If you guys watch the game, I mean, as we record, we were recording on Tuesday, Monday night game. That was horrible. I mean, I don't know that I've seen Russell Wilson play a game like that. And it's been going on for a few weeks Yes, the finger injury. Yes, you know, he was off for a month. But the team just looks out of sorts. I don't know. They had one good drive. They score the touchdown. Then another good drive, but the ball gets punched out by Landon Collins. And then they don't do anything in the second half. They had, like, I think five consecutive three and outs. And they didn't get a first down until Russ took off on his own and got a first down. But then in the two-minute offense at the end of the game when it looked like it was lost and they got kind of a gift from the judge, it maybe should have been a touchdown by Logan Thomas, but it gets overturned. So they go the length of the field, and they, lo and behold, they score a touchdown. But then on that two-point play, again, it, there was no creativity. It was just like a regular play. And again, you can you know laugh at Andy Reid and some of the things that he does down close, or Shanahan, or, or any of these guys. They're very creative. They've got like five or six two-point plays that they save for situations just like that. And he ends up firing one through like the end zone. 
this is done, right? I mean, I, I can't see him coming back. I don't know if Pete comes back. I don't know if either of them come back to this situation. Yeah, they got to move on. They don't have any assets. They don't have any draft picks. They trade Russ, get some draft picks, and start over, I would think. Yeah, DK Metcalf got like two targets. I mean, he had one catch the whole game. Just ugly. Seahawks, I mean, they have unraveled in a hurry. Yeah, Wilson just doesn't look right ever since he came back from that finger injury. It just doesn't look right. I mean, he doesn't look mobile enough. I mean, he's not doing some of those things that we've been used to. In the two-minute drill, he was great. I mean, that 32-yard strike to Swain with 15 seconds left, I mean, that was a thing of beauty. The way he stepped up in the pocket to get away from pressure, kept those eyes downfield, and just didn't panic. I mean, that's the wrestle that we're used to. I agree about the two-point play. I mean, that was that was terrible. They should have done something more. I mean, they've got DK Metcalf, for God's sake, one-on-one against a corner. He's a beast. Just throw him the ball in the fade, at least. He would have had more of a chance than throwing it in the middle of the field like that. I think Russ is gone. I started looking at some of those teams that have maybe multiple picks in the first round, in the top 10. And you know what? Right now, the Jets have two picks in the top 10. The Giants have two picks in the top 10. And the Eagles have two picks in the top 10. Well, you know what? The way the Giants are going to blow up this whole thing, I don't think Daniel Jones is going to come back. And if you have a chance to trade for Russell Wilson, I think he might be willing to go to New York. I mean, he's looking for a bigger and better place, whether it's L.A. or whether it's New York. The Giants would be perfect for him. I think the Eagles will also be a major upgrade for Philadelphia. They have Jalen Hurts. He's a nice story, and maybe he can develop. But if he can get Russell Wilson, hey, you trade those two top picks in the top 10 and get Russ there. So I'm thinking like Philadelphia and New York, the NFC East teams are going to be in there just because they have something to offer to Seattle. Well, New York, I think, would be perfect. I mean, it might be a rough go at the beginning. Depends on who they bring in as a coach, but plenty of weapons. It's the stage. I mean, obviously, his wife is a megastar and style and just his appearance, his legacy is very important to Russ. And that platform like in New York is huge. I mean, it's, it's as big as it's going to get. It may not be like go in, win right away, but I think it's got everything else and it gives him a chance to kind of cement a Hall of Fame career, uh, perhaps. But again, I don't know that that second Super Bowl would be coming anytime soon. All right, that's going to do it for this show, gang. Uh, Special treat, we have two shows this week, so another show is coming. So for you subscribers that uh, get alerted to this, you'll see it. But again, here's a heads up, there's two shows this week. If you haven't subscribed, please go ahead and do so. Two pros like us. For Alex, I'm Lou on the way out. Peace!